It's November 14th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, a shocking investigation into America's vaccine reporting system. It shows that warning signals of adverse reactions are being missed or just ignored. I'll share those findings in a bit. Second, China's president, she is set to meet with Joe Biden today, but that was not the original plan. I'll tell you what it was and why it speaks volumes about China's view of the White House. Third, the state of Wyoming might just save the nation, and it has to do with an old coal mine. I'll share that good news story in about 20 minutes. Later, a listener question today from Josh about something that Donald Trump said late last week about how he plans to use his future Department of Justice if he is reelected. Now, he suggested that he is going to go after his political opponents. Hmm. We'll talk about what he said and let you decide. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. An investigation into America's vaccine reporting system called VAERS has found a shocking series of failures, and those failures are jeopardizing the health and well-being of Americans. That, at least, is according to the British Medical Association and their publication called BMJ. Their investigators looked into VAERS after noticing this next peculiar fact. Other countries around the world have long acknowledged deaths that were likely or probably related to vaccination from the new technology that is called mRNA, It's the basis for both Moderna and Pfizer's COVID vaccines. But as the rest of the world is acknowledging that not all is well or perfect with this new technology, America's CDC and FDA have not acknowledged a single death linked to this novel technology, at least according to BMJ. And so British investigators began speaking to U.S. state medical examiners and U.S. physicians to understand why, what's going on. And in short, what they discovered was three things. First, the VAERS tracking system is wildly understaffed. Second, dangerous adverse events are not being properly captured or even tracked in some cases. And third, warning signals are either being ignored or simply missed. And here is how the folks at BMJ discovered all of that. They started by speaking with U.S. doctors, including an anesthesiologist in the state of Maryland named uh, Robert Sullivan. So here's his story. Three weeks after he got his second dose of the COVID vaccine, he collapsed. He was rushed to the hospital and doctors found that he had something called a sudden onset pulmonary hypertension. And that can be fatal. And in most cases, it cannot be cured. It's also incredibly rare, especially for men like Mr. Sullivan, an otherwise fit middle-aged man. So Dr. Sullivan did what doctors are encouraged to do. He submitted a report about what happened to America's system for possible or likely adverse reactions to vaccines called VAERS, or the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And VAERS is supposed to be the system for capturing all kinds of things related to problems after vaccination in this country. Indeed, it is run by the CDC and the FDA. It's promoted as an easy way for everyone, not just doctors like Dr. Sullivan, to submit reports. Yeah, and if you click on the video in the transcript, you'll see that they encourage people like you and me to do the same and submit these reports. But back to Dr. Sullivan, he submitted a report for himself about himself. But as other told the reporters and investigators, the process to do so was very glitchy. 
The system timed out before he could uh, complete his first few attempts. But eventually he got a report in and then promptly he heard nothing for a year. Next, the BMJ investigators spoke with a Dr. Patrick Wellen. He's a rheumatologist and a researcher at the University of California, Los Angeles. He submitted a various report on behalf of a seven-year-old boy, his patient, who had a cardiac arrest after COVID vaccination and he was intubated. But as Dr. Wellen said, no one from the CDC or FDA followed up with him, not once. Meanwhile, his patient, he died, seven years old. Next, the BMJ investigators spoke with a man named James Gill. He is a medical examiner in Connecticut. In June of 2021, he told investigators that he submitted the very first VARES report of his career. Indeed, it was for a 15-year-old boy who died suddenly after his second COVID vaccination. Now, the autopsy of this young man showed that he died from, quote, stress cardiomyopathy after a second dose of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination, end quote. Well, Mr. Gill, who, by the way, still works at both Yale and the University of Connecticut, he got very little help after he submitted this VAERS report. Indeed, he just got a temporary e-file number, but that was it. However, when he later published the case of this dead 15-year-old boy in a medical journal, that is when the CDC responded, and they said that the autopsy was garbage. Next up, BMJ investigators spoke with an ER physician who asked to remain anonymous, and she submitted numerous VAERS reports on behalf of her patients in her ER, including six who died. And she got back very little by the way of a response, and that made her very angry. So she organized a call with two FDA officials who were involved with VAERS, and she recorded the call. Well, as the audio shows, one of the FDA officers admitted that, quote, there really should be a request for records, end quote, about her dead patients. And that, quote, you know, we've received a large volume of serious reports, and I don't know what the backup is to addressing them all, end quote. And by a large volume of serious reports, here's the number, 1.7 million reports since the rollout of the COVID vaccines. Investigators with the BMJ called that, quote, unprecedented, end quote. Now, part of the reason that there have been so few responses to all these 1.7 million reports is that based on this investigation, the VAERS office that is uh, responsible for responding to the reports, it's called the Immunization Safety Office, they only have about 70 to 80 full-time workers, right? Compare that to Pfizer and their team that looks at, at uh, adverse reactions to uh, vaccine events. Well, their staff is over 1,000. And perhaps that helps explain this. Of the reports that are submitted to VAERS, only about one-third ever get something that's called a permanent VAERS tracking number. Otherwise, some of them even get nothing at all. They simply disappear from the system completely for reasons that aren't clear. At least that is based on a review from the publicly searchable VAERS database. One more thing to note on this British investigation of the American system. Doctors in the U.S. generally submit these VAERS reports or look for possible adverse reactions only when the reactions match others that have already been reported. In other words, doctors in this country aren't largely looking for any new or unusual reactions or anybody who's had any kind of delayed reactions. As one of the experts interviewed for this investigation said, quote, if something hasn't been heard of before, it tends to be ignored, end quote. 
And, and that, for the record, contrasts with other countries around the world and their monitoring systems, or so said the investigators with the British BMJ. Well, for what it's worth, the FDA and the CDC have responded to this investigation. Uh, they have denied everything. Quote, the agency is actively engaged in safety surveillance of these vaccines to identify and address potential safety concerns. We continuously screen and analyze data from VAERS to COVID-19 vaccines to identify potential signals that would indicate the need for further study, end quote. And yet, a Yale cardiologist and researcher named Harlan Krumholtz, he was pretty suspicious of those claims as he told the British investigators, quote, there are so many people whose lives have been changed dramatically because of the COVID vaccines, but what I don't know is how many or why, end quote. So those are the facts and data, ladies and gentlemen, reported to us this morning from the British Medical Association and their investigators with the BMJ. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion by offering you two things. First, I know that I have listeners who are senators and congressmen and their staff, and I would implore you, please take this BMJ report. You can find it in the transcripts and make sure that our oversight committees on Capitol Hill follow up on this. Because, because folks, whatever your politics, this BMJ investigation, it's alarming. Second, for the rest of us who live outside of the D.C. bubble, I would encourage you to take this report and read it for yourself. Again, the link is in the transcripts. And with this report and with this knowledge in hand, I would encourage you to share it with your doctors the next time you speak with them and ask for their reactions to this. And I would encourage you to do that most certainly the next time that they ask you if you would like to boost yourself with another COVID vaccine shot, assuming that is if you've gotten one or many in the past. Because what this report suggests is that your government is failing you and failing to properly understand exactly what you are putting into your bodies. As that Yale doctor said, how serious this problem is, it remains to be seen. But there is no doubt there is a problem. We just don't know the scale. That is what this British investigation showed. And that's part of the power to me. An outside group with no special obligation to American politicians or lobbyists came up with a legitimate, reasoned, and fair investigation, and it deserves our consideration. And it certainly got mine, because while I have never been vaccinated for COVID, this report, for me, in my body, it only underlines that I will never get vaccinated with this novel mRNA technology unless and until my government fixes this broken VAERS system. And they do an earnest and rigorous series of studies involving the doctors and people that, frankly, they have ignored. And most importantly, they need to apologize for the people and the lives that they've destroyed. Because while we don't know how many of those there are at present, we do know it's not zero. And that should frighten all of us into action. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and we'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan 
or maybe a pandemic again. Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about jacemedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at jasemedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, it, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code RIGHT, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code RIGHT at jasemedical.com. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I had their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their GhostBed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, Go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news about China. And that's because this week, the president of China, Mr. Xi, is coming to San Francisco to attend a summit of world leaders. And when they arrive, they will find a city by the bay that none of us will recognize. That's because it is being cleaned up with trash and homeless tents and drug needles being swept off the streets. And apparently there is a slight fragrance that is being added to the water as they blast off the, the human feces and urine from the various San Francisco streets and buildings. In fact, here's how French and Asian press are characterizing the San Francisco cleanup. Quote, like a housework shy couple who suddenly discover that the neighbors are dropping around San Francisco is in a tidying panic mode as it readies for thousands of influential visitors, end quote. Well, as San Francisco is hiding its decay, Mr. Xi will arrive in that freshly clean city to meet with Joe Biden tomorrow. And they will talk about, well, we don't know. The White House said last week, quote, we will discuss the continued importance of maintaining open lines of communication and a range of regional and global issues, end quote. Well, that's lovely and vague. So I should say that the only concrete statement of any future topics that will be discussed comes to us from the National Security Advisor, a fellow named Jake Sullivan, who said a couple of days ago that the one thing that Biden will absolutely push for is to resume military to military talks. 
And that is because China cut off those communications many months ago after they were pretty embarrassed by their spy balloon fiasco. We uh, may recall that episode where, of course, a Chinese spy balloon transited the entirety of the United States before Mr. Biden ordered it shot down once it completed its journey over the Atlantic Ocean. But a reasonable person might ask, why exactly do we want to reestablish close military to military talks with China? Because here's what I mean. This past spring, and again this fall, the Pentagon and U.S. intelligence leaders testified to Congress, both in public and in classified settings, that China remains our greatest threat to include, quote, targeting people and military technology from U.S. and allied companies and institutions, end quote. And to be very clear, China is also after our soldiers, airmen, Marines, and naval recruits. In fact, just two months ago, the Pentagon warned these service members that China, quote, seeks to exploit your knowledge and skill to fill gaps in their military capability by recruiting you as intelligence agents, end quote. Well, of the knowledge that the Chinese seek, they are especially after our biological research. In August, the Pentagon issued yet another report confirming that China is developing biological weapons by integrating their military efforts with their civilian research, with their civilian labs in places like Beijing, Shanghai, and, oopsie, Wuhan. In fact, there have been allegations that this Chinese bioweapons research could include developing ethnic bioweapons, in other words, targeting certain ethnicities for death or disease. Indeed, it is a concern that was raised in part by U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken recently when he asserted that China is collecting DNA from Tibetan Chinese as, quote, an additional form of control and surveillance over the Tibetan population, end quote. Well, for the record, China denies this ethnic bioweaponry uh, stuff. Indeed, they have countercharged that it is America that is doing this research into this very horrible stuff. Meanwhile, other scientists are saying that everybody is being crazy. The whole idea is just bonkers. There is no way that you could engineer that kind of an ethnic weapon. But that all aside, it does beg the question of exactly what Mr. Biden hopes to get as he tries to rebuild this military-to-military communication. Some will say that it is a, an effort to avoid an accidental war, but based on China's behavior, it's not clear that that is a really likely outcome. But nevertheless, there you have it. Something to watch for today. Meanwhile, Mr. Biden's opposition in the Republican Party, the politicians in both the U.S. House and Senate, they are saying that military issues aside, there are at least 10 other topics that Biden should be broaching with Mr. Xi during this meeting at some point today. Those include things like China's cooperation with Mexican cartels. Yes, they are flooding America with fentanyl and Republicans want to know, will they stop it? And why not? Second, Republicans are flagging the theft of over $600 billion or so each year of intellectual property. They would sure like Mr. Biden to address that. Or third, the Republicans say, how about that uh, Mr. Biden discuss China's hacking of key water and electricity systems in the U.S. and those that are near our military bases abroad? And so on and on, this Republican list goes with these folks demanding that the White House be serious in its efforts to address them. But speaking of being serious and taking things seriously, here's something that you might not know. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that two weeks ago, Chinese officials told the White House that they would like a, a change of schedule. They insisted that President Xi first meet with U.S. businessmen and CEOs, and only after that would he meet with Mr. Biden. 
Well, apparently the White House said no to that, that such would look a little bit embarrassing for the White House, and it would demonstrate that she was not serious about his meeting with Biden. And so the two sides bickered for a while, but eventually the Chinese came around, backed down, and agreed to meet with Biden first, and then the CEOs. By the way, the dinner with the CEOs, that will be held tomorrow night, with hundreds of businessmen paying upwards of $2,000 a head to wine and dine with that communist leader. So those are the facts and data, ladies and gentlemen, leading up to today's big meeting between the presidents of China and the United States. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion of why this matters. And I'm going to speak to you as a former intel officer who knows this Chinese target. And here's something that you need to know about these guys. If China respects you or if they fear you, they will make you a priority. And they are very attentive to details when they do. They put a lot of focus on protocol and showing respect and a certain degree of deference. And they are very, very careful not to offend. Careful also not to commit too much or say too much. And I will tell you, they are also very methodical in planning out every little part of their approach to you and how they manage their relationships. However, if the Chinese do not respect you or if they do not fear you, they let you know through ways big and small. One of them is being flippant with their communications, or as the Pentagon explained in September, quote, they have turned those communication channels on and off like a light switch for political reasons, end quote. So what that says to me, ladies and gentlemen, very clearly having dealt with these guys before, is that they neither fear nor respect this White House. So that is key takeaway number one. Second, knowing that the little things count with China, Let's talk about the meeting schedule and that dinner with the CEOs. What she and his communist toadies are making pretty clear with this scheduling snafu, as it were, is that American businessmen should get priority, that they are more important than America's leaders, actually, to include the president. And that, of course, is very audacious, but it makes sense. And that's because Beijing views corporate America as more important, more valuable and more powerful because they are. And think about it. For over 20 years, China has stolen, hacked, or recruited corporate America using the intel that they grab from them to build China's economy into a global powerhouse. And incredibly, corporate America keeps coming back for more. In fact, they are paying $2,000 a piece for dinner tomorrow with the very same guy that has been damaging their operations for decades. In other words, yes, America's CEOs are more important than Joe Biden because they are of far greater value as useful idiots. And I don't say that to be nasty or cruel. That just is how China views them. Trust me on this. Maybe someday I can give you a classified brief on how I know this to be true. Meanwhile, let's step back for a second and just look at this big picture. Let's think about the audacious fact that the president of the United States got put second to America's CEOs. Because, folks, the office of the presidency usually gets referred to as the most powerful role in the world. But clearly, that's not true, at least not in the eyes of Xi and China. Right? They view us with a strong whiff of indifference. You know, we are a failing global power. And again, I say that because I've heard this before from the Chinese myself. So the point, ladies and gentlemen, is this. It doesn't really matter what the White House has on the agenda for today or any other day with President Xi because he does not really care about the White House. They have no respect for us, nor any fear for either America or the man in the Oval Office. They just don't. And that's a problem. 
And not because we like or dislike Joe Biden or Democrats. Put all of that aside. China, ladies and gentlemen, is arguably the greatest threat to humanity since at least the Nazis, at least in my view. And as I look around the world, no one is standing up to them in any real, sustained or morally clear way. And you contrast that to what President Reagan did with the Soviets and communism. Right? Whether you like him or not, Reagan and his Reagan doctrine put forth an argument that communism was evil and the Soviets were thus a threat to everyone, all of humanity, not just us. And that is what we're missing in this moment of American and global history. We're missing the moral case, the global rallying cry that this communist regime is evil, unambiguously so, and must be confronted wherever we can with whatever tools we have and with our allies. And I say that to just emphasize, ladies and gentlemen, I know this personally. I know this target. I got to meet with these people. I learned the intel behind who they are and what they intend to do. And it's not just their plans and intentions, what they are planning to do. They're doing it right now, every day, in every state, in a way that is unmatched by any adversary in American history. And that is not hyperbole. That is fact. So that's why good leadership counts in this moment of history, now more than ever. So, okay, let's see what comes of the meetings later today between Biden and Xi. But I think that the Chinese have already made clear America's president comes second and the world will be theirs. With that, let's uh, drink our morning whiskey and end on a note of possibility and promise. Good news. The state of Wyoming might just save America and make one man very rich while doing it. So this story has to do with something called rare earth minerals or metals. These are 17 minerals that, despite the name, are actually quite common. But the challenge is to find them in any concentration to make them economically viable to mine. And we need to, by the way. Rare earths are the critical ingredient, as it were, to make things like specialized magnets and lenses, aircraft engines, x-ray machines, and even televisions and computer screens. But here's the problem. China currently accounts for over 60% of the mines for rare earths and about 90% of the refining for the processed rare earths. In other words, our supply chain for both these rare earth minerals and the critical items that they require, they are all in jeopardy in the event of a conflict or a war with China. And to just give you one example, the Pentagon recently had to stop delivery of F-35 fighter jets because they included some of those Chinese rare earth magnets. So that is the problem. But here is a possible solution thanks to one very lucky man named Randall Atkins. This guy was a retired Wall Street banker, and over a decade ago, he got word that there was an old coal mine in Wyoming that was for sale. And he thought he might buy it and squeeze out just a little bit more production of something called metallurgical coal that is used in steelmaking. So he got uh, two million bucks together for this mine and he bought it sight unseen. And that was 12 years ago. Well, recently, the U.S. government came knocking on his door. They had developed a new software program that used artificial intelligence to find deposits of rare earth metals inside the United States that had yet to be exploited. And they thought they found one. It was just outside of Sheridan, Wyoming, just around an old coal mine. The very one purchased by Randall Atkins for $2 million. Well, after some initial tests, the government came back with an estimate. That $2 million old coal mine was probably sitting on $37 billion in rare earths. 
Well, I am sure that Mr. Atkins had to change his underwear after hearing that. But after he did, he and his team conducted more tests on those deposits. And so far, so good. And if things do move forward, as expected, Mr. Atkins' mine will be the first one in the United States to produce these rare earths since 1952. One last thing. There will still need to be a processing or refining facility for these rare earths, also, of course, to break China's stranglehold on that process. Well, indeed, Mr. Atkins and some folks at the National Labs are working on that. And so, too, is a company that's building the first in the nation refining facility, these rare earths, in Texas. That one is set to process Australian ore and rare earths into things like magnets and such. They'll be working on that for the next two years or so. Although, frankly, it's not going to come a minute too soon, and here's why. About four months ago, China began restricting the export of two key rare earths. One's called a gallium, and the other is germanium. And that has left global buyers in a real pickle. The Pentagon, for instance, said that while it has enough germanium in storage for now, it has no gallium. Meanwhile, the private sector is also looking for other storage stocks all around the world. But even if they can find it, they are still going to need to refine and process that stuff. And as ever, China still owns that, at least for now and for another two years. So those are the facts and data this morning on rare earths and China's stranglehold on them. Meanwhile, no analysis or opinion for you. Just a kind word to our friends in Wyoming and to Mr. Randall Atkins. To you, I say, good luck. Hurry up. We need you. And go Cowboys. With that. Ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question today sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Josh in Utah wrote in about a political thorny question. And here's the background. Last Thursday, former President Donald Trump sat down with a Spanish language outlet called Univision, and the reporters asked him about the Biden Department of Justice and how they were, shall we say, handling investigations into him and his family. And they wanted to know what Trump might do if he were reelected and what he would do with his own Department of Justice. And here's part of what Trump said, quote, if they do this and they want to follow through on this targeting of me and my family, then yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse, end quote. All right, in other words, Trump is saying that, hey, if he's being you know, targeted by Biden's political henchmen, why wouldn't he do the same to them or to Democrats more generally? He then added this, quote, what they've done is they've released the genie out of the box. They have done something that allows the next party to do the same, end quote. So Josh asks, what are we to make of that? Well, on one hand, Trump is factually correct to say that the FBI and Department of Justice have been weaponized by either Biden or the leaders of those organizations against him. Indeed, we know that. It is confirmed. We know it from special counsel John Durham, who said in his report that both agencies have, quote, lacked strict fidelity to the law, end quote, 
as it related to their improper targeting and investigation of Trump back in 2016 and beyond. Second, we've also got another outside auditor, that's the Department of Justice's Inspector General. He found the same thing, that the then FBI Director James Comey, quote, set a dangerous example when he led his investigation into Trump without predicate. So like it or not, or like Trump or not, he is correct to say that his opponents, including and especially Democrats, have let the genie out of the bottle. They have used government powers to prosecute and persecute someone without predicate or evidence. Now, for what it's worth, that is not exactly a new phenomenon, unfortunately. The FBI and Department of Justice have a very long history of engaging in political shenanigans, shall we say, against perceived opponents. In fact, the the folks at NPR, they published a piece back on this in uh, 2018 about how the FBI has been a political tool since its creation in the early 1900s. Meanwhile, Time Magazine has done something similar, wrote a very similar piece looking at the old FBI director James Edgar Hoover and his, well, again, political shenanigans, if we can call them that, lawlessness. The point is this. The Department of Justice and the FBI have long been political animals and beasts, right? Justice is not blind, unfortunately. So the question is, what do we do about that? And whether Trump's response of getting even is fair or healthy for the Republic? Well, this is where I think reasonable people can disagree. But I'll tell you this. While we all know that justice is not blind, there is generally a a veneer of at least trying to say that it is. Right? Politicians like to say it. Directors of the FBI and the Attorney General, they insist that it's true. But it's not. And then you get Trump. He's uh, kind of a human firecracker, isn't he? He just says it like it is and how he feels. And to be fair, if I were Trump with very clear documented evidence that I had been targeted by Democrats and that ultimately my presidency was kneecapped because of it, I would probably consider revenge. That is a natural instinct. But it is not good if you are interested in keeping a healthy republic. So what I would like to see is the next president, whether that be Trump or otherwise, that that person either take executive action or work with Congress to do two things. First, defund much of the Department of Justice and FBI, taking that money and those powers and decentralizing that to state and local officials. In other words, devolve those powers closer to the people and neuter the federal G-men who obviously cannot be trusted with that intoxicating authority. Second, with what is left, the, the rump of the DOJ and the FBI, make every person reapply for their position and bet them with the goal of creating a, an Elliot Ness-like group of untouchables who are really focused on law and order without fear or favor. And that's because, my goodness, folks, we've got to reestablish justice being blind or at least with some serious cataracts. But even then, let's remember, ladies and gentlemen, There is no finish line to making sure that these justice officials, whether they be federal, state, or local, avoid becoming corrupt. There's no silver bullet to this problem. There's no permanent fix. Instead, we have to remember the counsel of my old teacher, Trigger. As he said, eternal vigilance, my friends. That is what it takes to run a republic. Folks, if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's so darn easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a uh, link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. 
Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.